So, doing this series uh, about our core values and, and just who we are, who God has called us uh, to be. And so, today we're going to talk about the, the core value of, that we're disciples who make other disciples. But at the same time, I think this core value really relates to our mission statement. So uh, if you remember True Life, I want to ask you, so let's say this together. What is our mission statement? If you remember True Life. Okay, let's try it one more time. Let's maybe with a little more enthusiasm. And if you're a member and you don't know it, the membership class is going on down the hall. You might want to go to a remedial version of it. That, but let's try it again. I'll count of three. One, two, three. Okay. So we're going, it's all right, we're going to look at the scripture that it's based on today, but we're also going to talk about, again, this, this core value of being disciples who make other disciples. But, you know, when you, when you think about mission statement, you know, most organizations today have some kind of, of mission statement. It may or may not mean something. I remember one time we lived in Maryland. We were traveling back and forth from Maryland to Tennessee. We stopped at a McDonald's somewhere in Virginia. And on the, the, the counter of this McDonald's, there's this really nice plaque that had this big, uh, I mean, the whole plaque was full. It had this big flowery mission statement on the plaque at McDonald's. And I don't remember what it said, but I remember thinking that your mission right now is to give me hot, fresh food that tastes good in about 30 seconds. And if you fulfill that mission, I'll be happy and we'll be good. And I think your business will do well if you do that consistently. I remember one time, if you, if you saw the 20th anniversary video, there was a picture in there, and I referenced my church planning mentor. His name's Fred Davis, and, and, and told you uh, that, that him and his wife uh, passed away from COVID d- during the pandemic. But one time, uh, me and him were teaching something called Basic Training 2 at uh, kind of a, it's, it's more usually done in church plants, but we did this at kind of an existing traditional church in the area. And so when we're working with the, the group of people there and doing this training, at one point we asked them if they had a, a, a vision statement and a mission statement. And they said, yeah, we do. And we asked, well, what is it? And nobody knew it. And so we said, well, can we see it? And they said, well, we'll try to find it. And so they went on like this scavenger hunt looking around around the church trying to locate it and going through, and I guess it was somewhere in some drawer uh, somewhere that somebody located it. And, and so they had a mission statement, but apparently it didn't mean anything to them. And the, the point that, that, that I'm trying to make is what I want us to see today is that Jesus has given us a mission as the church and as individuals, and most of us, if we've been in church very long, we're going to be familiar with the verses that I read today, and we can give lip service to it, and we can say that this is our mission, but the question is, does it really mean something in our lives? Is it really a priority for us? Are we really living it out? When, uh, when we lived in Maryland, when I pastored there, at one point I, I went through some leadership training. 
And, and one of the things that we had to do during that training was to write a life mission statement. Now, I don't know when you've been in training before or uh, you've, uh, you know, when you were in school. Did you ever do something just because you had to do it and you did enough to get by and you didn't really get anything out of it or were you more mature than me? I mean, some of you are really good and some of you probably never did that, but most of us have probably done that kind of thing at some point. And that's kind of what I did with that then. I'm not sure why, uh, looking back on it in, in hindsight, but... Uh, but later I came back to it and I actually wrote a life mission statement that is something that really, uh, I think, guides my life. But, but here's the reality. Is if, you, if, if I put on the screen what my life mission statement is, those of you who know me fairly well would know whether or not that's words on a screen or whether or not that really is the mission of my life because it's not what I say, it's what I do. Right? And so, if, we, if you were writing a life mission statement, I mean, some of that's going to be unique to you. Some of it, if you're a Christian, is just biblical, right? There's some certain things that ought to be in there. Like if you're married, part of your life mission statement is, you know, to love your spouse, those kind of things, raise godly kids. But we're going to talk about today, if you're a Christian, this is part of your life mission statement because it is the mission that Jesus has left, has entrusted to his church. To meet people where they are and help them become fully devoted followers of Christ. To be disciples who make other disciples. And so that means as followers of Jesus, we meet people where they are, introduce them to Jesus, help them to grow spiritually, and then train them to make other disciples. Now, I'm throwing out the, the word disciple a lot, and so I think there's a couple of important questions here. Are you a disciple of Jesus, number one? But then maybe before we answer that question, we have to answer this question. What is a disciple? It's a word that's used a lot in the New Testament over 200 times, if I remember correctly, where in contrast, the word Christian is only used three times. But what is a disciple of Jesus? And so I want to start, just spend a few minutes, and here's the good news for you. We're talking about Uganda at the end, so if you're a little bit sleepy, just know i got to be short today, at least by my standards, okay? Uh, now, you know, that's still like 30 minutes, so for some preachers that would be a long sermon, but that's short by my standards. So um, what is a disciple of Jesus? Well, let's start with this. Let's think through that, and then we'll talk about making other disciples. So Acts 11.26, uh, Scripture says, When he had found him, he talking about uh, Barnabas finding Paul, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So, so understand, disciple and Christian are basically synonymous. In fact, these early Christians didn't name themselves Christians. The people around them, the people outside the church, called them Christians because they were so much like Christ. Now, I wonder if people outside our church were naming us today, what name they would give us. Something to think about. But they were so much like Christ, they called them 
Christians, but they were disciples. You know, there's a lot of different words you can use to describe someone who has a relationship with God. Christian, disciple, born again, saved, follower of, follower of Jesus, one who believes in Jesus. There's a lot of different ways we could say it, but this is what we're talking about. Bill Holtz put it this way. He says disciples are born and made. And what he means, you become a disciple when you're born again, when you get saved, but then you're being developed, you're growing as a disciple, hopefully in the right direction, becoming more and more like Jesus for the rest of your life. That's what we're talking about when we talk about a disciple. Jesus continually said to people, follow me. And so a disciple is someone who is following Jesus. What's it mean to follow him? Well, it means you're trusting him. You're attached to him. You have a relationship with him. You're living a life of repentance, living a life of surrender. You know, you would say, Jesus is my Lord. I'm, I'm trusting Him. And so, let's look now in, in Matthew chapter 28, and, and, and that's where we're going to focus. And uh, it's a familiar chapter. It's, it's, a, it's about the resurrection, and then Jesus preparing His apostles to lead the church, and preparing the church for the mission that he has given us. We're going to read most of the chapter. We're going to skip a little section that dealt with the story that the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman soldiers concocted to explain away the empty tomb. But starting Matthew 28, verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And then one of the greatest verses in the Bible, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. In other words, they're saying, Come and investigate the empty tomb. But then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Then, skipping ahead to verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And there's a principle there, and that is, if we want to experience what Jesus has for us, we need to be where he tells us to be, doing what he tells us to do. And that's what they did. And it says when they, and, and, and I think grammatically there, the, le, the they would refer to the 11, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And, and I don't want to say something about that. I don't know about you, but you know, I've been studying the Bible seriously for uh, over 30 years now. And, but there's still things in the Bible that are an enigma to me. 
that, you know, I don't feel like I uh, fully understand. And uh, this little phrase, but some doubted, has been one of those places in Scripture for me. And I think it is for other people, too, because I've had a lot of trouble finding a Bible commentator that I felt like gave a real clear and satisfactory explanation for it. Because my question has always been, if they're seeing the risen Lord, why are they doubting? Now, uh, but I've kind of come to a conclusion, at least maybe conclusion's not the right word, a tentative conclusion, as I studied this past week about what I think it's referring to. So if you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is just, we're, we're, that's what we're planning to study for Easter, the week before Easter Sunday, the week after, plan on walking through 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter. But as Paul is listing witnesses to the resurrection there, he lists an occasion in which Jesus appeared in one of his post-resurrection appearances to over 500 people at one time. I think that this is probably, and, and, and it's speculative, I can't prove it, but I think probably this is that time. And so, you know, the, the, the apostles had seen him already alive more than once at this point. But apparently there were some other people who showed up from Galilee, and maybe they hadn't, this was the first time, and they were still trying to figure it all out and understand what was going on. And, and so, that's what I at least think at this moment uh, happened there. But anyway, the point of, of, of the chapter is Jesus rose from the dead. There's the evidence of, of the empty tomb. There's the evidence of the eyewitness testimony, so on and so forth. But then as Jesus meets with them, as he's preparing to ascend back to heaven, preparing them to receive the Holy Spirit, preparing them to be the church, to carry on the mission, he gives these instructions. He gives these marching orders. He, he, he gives this as his mission for them and for us, because uh, the, the, a lot of the point of the, of the apostles is they were to be the foundation of the church, the ones through whom, through whom Jesus transmitted his truth. Peter explains this in 2 Peter chapter 1. They wrote these, he said, we were, I'm writing these things so you'll have a record of this after I die. And so then when we read the New Testament, understand we're reading and following the words of the apostles. So the church down through the centuries is one body under the authority of the apostles. And so Jesus and his authority says, this is your mission to the apostles. And that's been transmitted down through the centuries. So we're still all under the authority of the Lordship of Christ, the authority of his word. And so then we have the same mission, the same marching orders as they did then until Jesus comes back. And this is that mission. He says, all authority, he starts with a promise, an assurance, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He bookends it in, in, in verse 20 with, 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 with a promise that, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, Amen. But in between, he delineates, he, he lays out his mission. He says in verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, 
and uh, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And then, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And a lot of you heard me say this before, but in, in that verse, there's actually one command. It's the command to make disciples of all the nations grammatically. It's the imperative. And then going, baptizing, and teaching are participles that modify the command that tell us how to do what Jesus has told us to do. The therefore connects it back to uh, what Jesus had already said, that uh, this is my authority. So if we want to function in the authority of Jesus Christ, we do that by making disciples of all the nations. That's his mission. So that means, here's the question again, are you a disciple? What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who trusts and worships the risen Lord. You believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. You've responded to the gospel in repentance and faith and gotten saved. And then after your salvation, you have been publicly baptized as a symbol of your salvation, as a public profession of your salvation, identifying yourself with Jesus and his church. And now you are walking in the word of God, learning God's truth, applying it to your life, living a life of obedience. It's becoming more like Jesus. And then at the same time, you're being a disciple who makes other disciples because this commission, this mission has been entrusted to all of us. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And really, to me, the bottom line issue in all of this is, did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he rose from the dead, it demonstrates that he is the Son of God. It demonstrates that he made an acceptable sacrifice to the Father for our sins. It demonstrates that he is the way, the truth, and the life who is trustworthy in all that he says and does. And so if Jesus rose from the dead, the thing that makes sense is for us to commit our lives to him, to trust him. Have you done that? Have you been baptized as a public witness to to him, as a Christian? Are are you following him? But then are you making other disciples? Because if Jesus died for us and rose from the dead, that's way too good a news to keep to ourselves. I I mean, think about it. If, if If somebody took a bullet for you to save your life, and like, as, as they're dying, they said, just do one thing. Just tell people what I did for you. Don't you think you'd do that? I mean, that's what Jesus did for us. But then, what if that person, what if that happened, and then that person rose from the dead? I think you'd really do what they said. That's what happened here. And the question is, do we really believe it or not? Because if we really believe it, it's not something to be on the fence with, right? I mean, it's a crazy claim. I mean, we don't go around, you don't go to a funeral expecting somebody to pop up out of the casket. I mean, if Jesus rose from the dead, that settles other, a whole lot of other things. If he rose from the dead, the Bible and Christianity is not just true, but it's worthy of our lives. 
If he didn't rise from the dead, the Bible and Christianity is not just false, but it is not something to be used as some kind of religious crutch to pop ourse- prop ourselves up on. We'll see this in 1 Corinthians 15. But Paul says, if we believe this stuff and Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're of all men to be the most pitied. So the challenge would be to get off the fence with it. You know, either commit our lives to Christ, trust Him, live on His mission, or just reject Him. So, are you a disciple? Are you following Christ? If you are a disciple, you and I, each of us, we're called. We've been given a mission. And really, it's not one that we really get to choose to accept or not. It's one we choose to obey or disobey. But we've been given a mission to make other disciples. How do we do that? Well, I just want to point out three things to you here from Jesus' words, from what we commonly call the Great Commission. Number one, we make, if we're going to make disciples, we've got to make the mission of Jesus the priority of our lives and our church. I mean, again, this was his marching orders. I believe this is the mission for every church, period. And so I believe that as a church, then we must order and structure what we do around this mission. That means we're going to say no to some things that maybe you think that we ought to do sometimes. Because if, if, this doesn't, if, if doing something doesn't contribute to us making disciples, we don't need to do it. It's a distraction. And there's a whole lot of Christian-y kind of things that I think keep us from the main thing. Listen, uh, I've said this in this series. Uh, we don't believe we're called to be a program kind of church, but to build a church on relationships. Why? Because programs don't make disciples. People make disciples. We're called, each of us, to be disciple-makers. And that's corporately in the ministry of the church. But that's individually in our lives. That's in your home, in your school, in your workplace. Jesus said, John 17, 18, As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Uh, Sent is the word that we get the word apostle from. It means to send on a mission. In other words, uh, the Father sent Jesus on a mission to redeem us, and now Jesus has sent us on a mission to tell the world about that redemption. Paul wrote in Colossians 1.24 that I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. That, that ver- verse just blew my mind, confused me until I understood. It's like, because, you know, we teach there's nothing lacking in the afflictions of Christ, right? That he accomplished the finished work of redemption on the cross. What could be lacking in, in, in the afflictions of Christ? Well, there's one thing. The world hearing about it. Because the Bible says, how do they call on the name of the Lord if they don't believe? And how can they believe if they don't hear? And how can they hear if they don't preach? And how can they preach if they're not sent? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Paul says, I'm going to suffer so people can hear about the suffering of Jesus. 
That's our mission. So as the priority of Jesus, the priority of your life and my life. Listen, whatever your vocation is, whether it's a stay-at-home mom or you're a student right now or you're a teacher or you're a lawyer or you drive a truck or whatever you may do, that may be your vocation, but this is your mission. And wherever you are, God can use you and use your vocation and use your opportunities and connections as a part of making disciples of all the nations. Second, if we're going to be disciples who make disciples, we're going to have to follow the plan of Jesus for making disciples. See, he gives us a strategy here in in, in verse 19. He says to evangelize, baptize, and teach. He says, go. And, I mean, it could be translated as you are going, so there's a sense in which as we go about our lives and as we encounter people in in a restaurant, in a gym, again, at work, at school, family, friends, whoever it may be, we can talk to them about Jesus. But there's also an element of intentionality in this because you don't accidentally go to the nations. You intentionally engage the nations as God brings them to you, like what we've done with the Micronesian Church, with International Fellowship, or you go because I've never made it to Uganda just as I was going in the course of my day-to-day life. That took a lot of intention and planning. Missions is not accidental, it's strategic. But Jesus said, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we evangelize. We baptize the converts. I mean, read the book of Acts. You don't find people getting saved without getting baptized. I I would encourage you, if you're a believer in Christ and you have not been baptized since your conversion, we're doing baptisms next Sunday, take that step of obedience. Publicly identify yourself with Christ and His church. And then we we, we teach because... uh, you know, the, the, salvation's in a moment. Sanctification is a lifetime. We grow. We don't leave people on their own. Listen, you know, conversion is not really complete in some sense until the converted person becomes an evangelist. That's part of what he's saying here. He said, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. We're saved in a moment, but we grow and we serve and we evangelize and, and we disciple for a lifetime. So that's Jesus' strategy. That's his plan for the church. And listen, there may be some different ways we can go about putting it into practice, but that's the outline for what he wants us to do. The scope is all the nations. Not just where we are. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So there's a priority. There's a plan. And then the last thing, if we're going to live out Jesus' mission. We do it by functioning in the power of Jesus. It's not something we do on our own. That's good news. But it's also challenging news, I think, because I think it takes away our excuses, because I think our natural inclination when we first hear this, I can't do that. That's for somebody else. That's for pastors, people who've been to seminary, those kind of things. But notice what Jesus says in verses 18 and 20 here. 
How do we do this? We do it, first of all, in the authority of Jesus. In verse 19, he said, go therefore. Therefore connects back to what he just said. He said, all the authority has been given to me in, in, in heaven and on earth. He's the sovereign Lord. But listen, if we want to function in the power of the sovereign Lord, that happens when we're doing what he has authorized us to do. See, a lot of times we struggle in life because we ask God to do what we're, to bless what we're doing instead of doing what he's blessing. And he blesses what he's authorized. And this is what he's authorized. But then in verse 20, there's not only you know, his power, his authority here, there's his presence. He said, well, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, how does that work? He ascended back to heaven. Well, why did he ascend back to heaven? You see, when he was with the disciples on the earth, he was God with them. But he ascended back to heaven so the Holy Spirit, God, could come and be God in us. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. How can we make disciples of all the nations? We, we do it when we function in the power of Jesus Christ, knowing, trusting that we're operating under his authority and the power of the Spirit of God who indwells us, who empowers us as we go uh, and evangelize and baptize and teach. We're functioning in his authority authority, in his power, it really takes away our excuses. Listen, if you're a Christian, God can and will use you to accomplish his mission. God won't tell us to do anything that he doesn't also enable us to do. Listen, if God can use me, he can use you. Here's what I mean. I've been on over 50 mission trips, I think. I don't know the exact count. You know, True Life's done a lot of mission stuff. Been a part in some way of planting several churches. I've trained a lot of pastors. But, and this is kind of almost embarrassing to say, but when I took Christian missions the first time in seminary, I flunked it. That's a true story. I mean, there's a lot of backstory to it. It was an incomplete that turned into an F. There were some crazy circumstances, and I mean, I still shouldn't have let it happen. But I flunked Christian missions. If God can use me in missions after I flunked Christian missions, what's your excuse? He can use you because it's ultimately not us. It's what he's authorized us to do. It's what he's empowered us to do. By his spirit. So, what do we do with this? First of all, I'd encourage you just to make sure you're a disciple. Are you trusting Christ? You're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ. If you got questions about that, come see me or Pastor Philip, somebody you know here before you go, or uh, you know, turn in a connection card or something. Just let us know you want to talk to somebody about that. Again, if you want to grow in Christ, it's by taking steps of obedience. What's the first step of obedience? It's baptism. I encourage you to take that step. Let us know if you're interested in that. You know, get in an environment where you're being uh, d- discipled, a class, a small group, something like that. Let us help you with that. Ladies, something you may want to be on the lookout for, something our elders' wives uh, are putting together and will roll out soon, is, is they're actually putting together a ministry where uh, some of our women, you know, the Bible says, tells the older women to admonish the younger women, and I'll let them fill in the dates on this age stuff, but... Um, we're going to start something where some of our younger ladies have the opportunity to be discipled, mentored, 
uh, by older ladies. Again, it's person to person. And so just kind of be on the lookout for that. You know, who can we share Jesus with? Who's your one? Who are you praying for? Uh, who can you invite to church for Easter? We'll talk more about this next week. We're doing a, a, an outreach on April the 1st for Easter. You could be a part of that. You know, we're called the disciple of our family. It starts at home. A date that I would encourage you to put on your calendar. Uh, if, if you're married, have kids, want to be married, but especially if you're a young family. Uh, July 29th, uh, we're part of putting this together, but it's at Manly Baptist Church. It's a family life conference led by Dr. Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. He did one of these at True Life uh, several years ago. He's an incredible speaker. I mean, he's been married for over 40 years, has four sons who are all preachers of the gospel. There's a track record there. I'd encourage you just to go ahead and put this on your calendar. Set aside, uh, you know, let God, it's 9 to 2 that day. Give God an opportunity to grow you in, in, in this area. And then last, I'd encourage you to strongly consider going on a mission trip. Sometimes you just got to go and let God work in you, let God teach you, let God grow you through that. We have a team going to Honduras in July, and uh, we have open spots, need some people to go. You can talk to John Harrell about that at the end. He'll say something about it. So I want to leave some prayer, and then John will come and kind of set up the time with uh, the Uganda team, the video that they were going to show you. And uh, we'll, we'll finish up with, with that uh, th- this morning. But again, if you need to talk or pray afterwards, come see me or somebody. But just, what's the step that God would have you to take? So, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that no one would leave here without placing their faith in the risen Lord. God, for people who need to take steps for baptism or getting in a small group or being discipled, Lord, help them to do that. I pray as individuals and as a church that you would uh, just enable and empower us by your spirit to be disciples who make other disciples to live out the mission that you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray.